evening. So I just want to call for questions this evening. Are there any questions? Yes. Something like that, Madhyama Adhikari could become an atheist. Would you explain it? No? Madhyama Adhikari could become an atheist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Sridhar once once said that. Yes, yes, yes. Um, that is to look at the concept of adhikar or eligibility dynamically <clears throat> and while there are three basic classes of eligibility um, that are determined by their measure uh, the measure of faith that they involve kanishta madhyam uttam with regard to treading the path so some are more eligible or qualified to tread the path than others. The uh, Kanishta has komal shraddha, so tender faith, faith that is not very well informed and strengthened thereby um, by the scriptural dispensation argument. The madhyam or intermediate level of qualification for treading the path involves dridanishta, uh, so firm faith, even and informed by shastra, but uh, not to the extent of the superlative or uttam um, level of eligibility, which involves shastranipun, scriptural genius, and and uh, sh- the ability to fully engage in what we call shastra yukti, or reasoning as to the implications of the scripture, and um, thus uh, the ability to bring to light its essence in different circumstances resolve apparent contradictions, and so on and so forth. So, just to be clear, there's another um, idea of three divisions, similar, but uh, somewhat different, given in the Bhagavatam, where levels of realization are being discussed. So you have the Prakrita Bhakta, which would be the Kanishta, the Madhyam, and the Uttam, and their their experience beyond their level of faith is somewhat described there, or the way in which they conduct themselves that corresponds with their realization. So, for example, the Kanishta uh, there, uh, he's called a Prakrita Bhakta, materialistic Bhakta. Uh, he or she has faith in the deity, but that devotee's faith has not extended beyond the deity 
to include the Vaishnav. Hmm? Who told you about the deity? <laughs> That's why you bow down to the deity. Because some Vaishnav told you. So where is Krishna? This is the question. So the intermediate devotee, by contrast, um, is characterized therein by four things. Uh, so, and the, the essence of them is 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 a uh, discriminating nature. So, what it implies is that the the kanishta is not involved um, sufficiently or comprehensively with his or her intellect. That, for example, the scriptures pre- present a considerable engagement for properly understood. Hmm? Um, so the discrimination in, described in the Bhagavatam of the intermediate devotee is fourfold. This is the essence, discriminating. Discriminating means intellectual faculty is uh, active in, in devotional service. So that said, what's described as far as the discrimination in a basic sense is he or she based on their realization, conducts themselves such that they discriminate with whom they associate and how they associate. So they, um, first of all, they worship the deity, Ishvareta Dineshu, they worship the deity also. They culture love for the love of God, for the deity. And um, they associate with uh, uh, they make like camaraderie with like-minded peers hmm? and they um, share relative to their circumstances their insights with innocent people and they avoid envious people but again, essentially, what this is about is their their intelligence is active, discriminating. Uttamadikari or Uttambakta, let us say, in the Bhagavatam's description, is um, uh, he or she. Uh, the deity has be, has become universalized, so he or she sees. God everywhere in everything, everything reminding him or her of the God of the deity and so forth. Uh, this is a basic idea. Mm-hmm. So, for the for the kanishta, you have a lack of discrimination. For the utam, you have a lack of discrimination. He sees the utam. Krishna's everywhere. Everything's all right. Everything's good. Everything's going according to the will of God. Hmm. So he's lacking discrimination in a positive sense. Hmm. The Kanishta is lacking discrimination in a negative sense. He needs discrimination. So the discrimination of the of the Uttam, or the of the Madhyam, that characterizes that, is examining the faith hmm, with one's intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. And and that thus plumbing the depths of the relative to his intelligence or her intelligence, the, the scriptural 
implications, so on and so forth. Um, and what he or she is doing is taking the tenderness of faith, let's still call it the heart, right, and placing it in the fire of discrimination, just like you might take steel and in order to make it stronger, the blacksmith will place it in the fire until it's just about to melt and then pull it out. And then it hardens and cools the temperature to a greater degree and then back in the fire just before it melts and then out. So, so the Madhya Madhikari is reading so many books and, <laughs> and, and, and wanting his or her faith to be reasonable. And of course, relative to the circumstance, situation may be in touch with other. Like today, it's hard not to be in touch with other arguments, uh, philosophical themes, and, um, and and whatnot. That's just so much of, of a bombardment of information and so forth. So, um, you kind of you might have to sort through that. Um, and there's a, there's a possibility of examining other paths to a greater degree than you could at previous times when if you wanted to check out the Buddhist you might have to walk you know ten thousand you know thousand miles to to find one you know and talk actually talk with one and so forth so uh, at any rate we have we're in a certain circumstance that's all I'm, I'm saying that the principle is there um, it might be wise one might discriminate to step away from all that bombardment of information but but at any rate in the in the application of one's intellect to make one's uh, uh, bring intellectual, I would say, integrity to one's practice. Um, it's like then putting that metal in the fire. Because I can speak to the choir, as it's, you know, the term, speak to the choir. I can make arguments to the choir, and the Buddhists are this, and the Christians are that, and atheists are like this, and, and they've all been defeated, right? Of course, it's not a room full of atheists or Christians or Buddhists, and 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 do we really need to defeat them? <laughs> That's a whole other thing. What they say, we may be of interest to us, we may compare it to what we say, and and then determine. Yes, that's why I don't pursue that ideal. This ideal. Uh, it makes more sense to me, and this is this is what the Gaudiya's saying. Ah, that's why I'm on this path. Yes, that's why I'm on this path. And Gurudev says things that, yes, that's how I felt. I just couldn't articulate it. Hmm? He's not saying some. He, he, that's why he, he or she touches us because, said he say he spoke, she spoke, it hit home. Hmm? So, he or she is able to articulate in such a way that it seems as if. That's yeah, kind of. I was feeling like that, and I, I, but I, he or she voiced it in such a way that, was, so that we make a connection in that way, right? With our, with our, with our, with our guru. So, um, so anyway, besides speaking to the choir, so to speak, if we speak to someone outside of the choir and we hear what they actually say, what what their arguments are, and so then we we realize that at a certain point, the Madhya Madhikari will, will realize, hmm, there are other good arguments out there. 
And the reason that I accept the arguments of Gaudiya Vaishnavism from an intellectual point of view, which is doubting, and it's the function of the intelligence, right, hmm? is because, well, they're good arguments, for one. And number two, because there's another th thing that's causing me to like those arguments, and that is the sangha, the sadhu sangha, the samskars I've received, kind of a transformation through of, of contagious association on a subtle, subtle level, I've been influenced hmm, in past lives uh, that can be sorted out in this in this life, hmm. and so I'm I'm disposed towards this. Still, they're good arguments. <laughs> they're, that we can go toe to toe with whomever, hmm, anybody. Hmm. We won't defeat any everybody because they have some scars that cause them to to be predisposed towards towards gyan, towards towards atheism, towards um, whatever may be the, whatever may be the case. Hmm? Um, there may be some instances in which there's conversion takes place. Uh, um, there are, uh, you know, the story I like to tell about Dr. Kapoor, who was who was uh, actually uh, a Dwaitan, and some of the sannyasi disciples of Bhakti Siddhanta met him as a young man, and they preached him, and they couldn't, you know, they couldn't defeat him. They said, "Well, we can't defeat you to your to your you know satisfaction." The arguments work for us, but they're not working for you. So, but, but our guru can. He says, "Well, I'd like to meet your guru." So then they arranged for him to come and hear from Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, and the Thakur gave him an audience, young man, uh, alone. So he said he came in the room, and the Thakur was sitting there, and he, for 45 minutes, he sat for him, and Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur just talked about the Brajalila with such feeling, and then. He, they walked out. He didn't ask any questions, didn't entertain any discussion. And Dr. Dr. Kapoor, who became Adi Keshavadas, he told me, he said, that I was just so, like, moved by how he was moved by the, by the Leela that I thought, this is, just, this is something here that's not there in Advaita. And so then he, he joined him, and then Saraswati Thakur took him, allowed him to come with him on his tour for six months. And after every night of speaking, the Thakur was so enthusiastic that he would ask for questions. And every night, then Dr. Kapoor would raise his hand. And every night, Sarasati Thakur ignored him, ignored his, didn't call on him, just ignored him. And then he happened to be in a certain area with the call of service for the mission. And the king of that area was hosting one of the Shankaracharyas. There's four, one for each of the moths established by Shankar. So it was a big event. And these guys come in on elephants and so forth, you know. So 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 they was given a discourse on the way to Vedanta and the room was packed and the young Adikeshava Das was there. And so the 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 the, the Acharya asked for questions. Right as his hand and the Acharya called on him. And he found himself arguing back, you know, against Advaita Vedanta with Gaudiya Vaishnava arguments coming out of his own mouth, realizing, you know, he'd been filled up with these ideas. And, and so he went back and forth with the Acharya, back and forth in the discussion. And he, he was able to counter him 
and then he would the Chari would speak then, then Dr. Kapoor would counter him. And then the the Advaitas they just they have this idea of two realities or two levels of reality, the Paramartic and the Vyavahar, the empiric level down here, and then ultimate reality. And the empiric level is really doesn't exist. It's, you know, Jagan Mitya. Um, Brahma Satyam, you know, only Brahman is truth. Anyway, so so the what happened was the Acharya in the course of the argument changed the ground. They were arguing on the level of the Vyabharak, and then he changed the ground to the Paramartic. And so Dr. Kapoor realized, you know, I've got him here. I've caught him. And he, and he said, but it was tense in the room. I mean, this was the guest of the king. And he said, he looked around and some of the men put their hands, you know, the warriors that, on their swords. <laughs> this, was the, this was the Shankaracharya and this young brash lad was, you know, so he didn't, he might have had his head cut off, mm-hmm. is the point. So he just didn't reply with, but you changed the ground. But he, but in his own mind, he knew he had him. Hmm? So it was his, it was his conversion. Hmm? So he wasn't converted. I mean, he he was. He heard the discussions of Bhakti Siddhanta for six months and so forth. But, but at any rate, um, people are predisposed to accept a certain reasoning hmm? by association, and. Um, and you know, you know, sometimes there can be change and conversion based on the reasoning, no, no doubt. But um, often that, that 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 that's not the case. And so they have their 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 good arguments, as I think I might have cited the other night. Tarko Pratishtana, right? The, the sutras say that argument is never conclusive. You can't get any permanent standing. There'll always be another argument that you can give, another argument. So. Therefore, in, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, we, we are not really that fond of argumentation, although it might sound like it sometimes listening to me. <laughs> not really. Uh, there's the famous story, for example, of Rupa and Sanatan living in the Braj. Rupa Sanatan ki jai. Famous in Mathura, they were. Sijiva Goswami says, Sijiva Goswami Prabhupada ki jai. And um, one scholar came and he wanted to debate with Rupa and Sanatan, given their notoriety, and they didn't have the time for him. And he kept pestering. And so finally they said, look, this is an oral tradition story, of course, but they said, look, write a paper that says Rupa and Sanatan defeated me and we'll sign it. Hmm? So he did. Uh, pardon me? Oh, that I defeated Rupa and Sanatan, excuse me, and we'll sign it. So he made a paper and then they signed it to get rid of him. When Jiva Goswami argued with with uh, with Balaba hmm, as to the meaning of a Rasamrit, Bhakti Rasamrit Sindhu verse, Balaba was a contemporary of Rupa Goswami. Jiva Goswami was the younger nephew and disciple of Rupa Goswami. Rupa Goswami had written a verse in Bhakti Rasamrit Sindhu about the witches of the desires for karma and gyan. Hmm. Pisachi witches. And he heard the Balaba um, saying that this wasn't right. You can't call gar- karma and gyan witches. 
Again, this is the oral tradition. And so uh, he went after him and told him, that's not the, the implication of the verse. It's not that karma and jnana, which is what the desires for them, haunt the heart. And as long as they haunt the heart, hmm, then they don't, they, they don't make room for, for bhakti. Therefore, jnana karma avritam is the uttam bhakti of Rupa Goswami, not covered by jnana or karma. Right? But when he defeated him, some say it's Balava, some say it's somebody else. This is, again, a story from the oral tradition. Rupa Goswami was upset with him for wasting his time because he could have made the argument, too. He just didn't... He was too busy writing poetry about Krishna. Hmm. Um, Jiva Goswami, of course, was more philosophical in his writing and, and so forth. But... Uh, but anyway, Rupa Goswami banished him from his company. So, just to give you some one side of argumentation, is 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 more, for example, something that is very prominent in the Gyan Marg. But Gyan, different kinds of Gyan, of course. Gyan, in this sense with regard to oneness between Brahman and Atma. Hmm? There is oneness between Brahman and Atma. Hmm? Upanishads say it over and over again, but that's not all they say. <laughs> they also speak about a difference, but there is a oneness. So those to be preoccupied with oneness, the knowledge of oneness between Atma and Brahman, there is not an Anga of Bhakti. Neither is the corresponding Bairagya. In other words, if you have knowledge that Atma is one with Brahman, then he doesn't have anything to do with this world. Right? And in pursuit of his own interest, he should not be pursuing, pursuing things that perish. So, Bairagya, detachment, follows naturally from knowledge. But Jnana and Bairagya are not Angas of Bhakti. But janiyasu ai bhairagyam jnanam chayohitukam. Vasudevi bhagavati bhakti yoga prayojitaha. By bhakti yoga, jnana bhairagya, they, they come like maidservants to the bride of bhakti very quickly. In other words, bhairagi will come within a devotee, and jnana will come, knowledge will come. Hmm? And knowledge of oneness between Atman and Brahman is only a small part of the knowledge. The knowledge about Bhagwan, his nature, his form, and so forth. And this, is, this knowledge is favorable to Bhakti. All this knowledge comes. And the Bhairagya, of course, is giving up things that aren't favorable for loving Krishna. If it's favorable for serving Krishna, then we accept it, even if it's a motor car. As, for example, in the case of Bhakti Siddhanta, or shoes, which the Ghanis won't, you know, wouldn't wear shoes. Somebody might steal them. Then he'd be upset. Then he would lament. So, <laughs> so, <clears throat> so anyway, they, what is the point? Ganis. So people, at any rate, they have their, um, so our, our argumentation is not a, um, 
it's such, such, such a take doesn't take such a central position hmm, in the uh, in the bhakti school. Not that we don't have good arguments, we do. We have philosophy and return of Jiva Goswami, you know, as far as the founding acharyas um, for that um, and so forth. But um, but we're preoccupied with hearing and and and, and chanting, um, and so sometimes you know. We know it's time to argue with somebody. If someone is receptive, interested, we may share with them. Hmm? To help to help devotees whose faith is weak because of other arguments out there, we may have to, may have to argue against other schools and show what, what they say and why we say this and, and make their, their faith strong. Hmm? That's true. Um, but anyway... Speaking to the choir is one thing. Speaking to other people who actually know hmm, what their tradition is better than you do, and then they may have arguments for all of your arguments by which you you were able to defeat them. Speaking to the choir and so forth. So, so you get to get to a point. A Madhyamadikar may get to a point where he realizes that that the the logic and the philosophy itself hmm, are insufficient to express what bhakti is, hmm? what prem is. Hmm? And so when he or she finds, realizes that this argument works good for, for us, but I can see why it doesn't work good for that guy in that discipline and why he's thinking the way he thinks, maybe be atheistic perspective or something. He's got all his arguments. And so I think he's missing the boat and everything, but I, but why I think like that and why he can't embrace that, it doesn't bother me that he's got an argument for my argument. Do you understand? Because I already know. Well, the philosophy is, only, is limited anyway. I mean, it's only a limited... Um, as good as it is, effort to express something that, that, that transcends it, and I'm tasting that. Hmm? Therefore, I'm firm in my faith. But in becoming, in, 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 in I would say, transitioning from a Kanishta to a Madhyam, this is the exercise. The Komal, the komal Shara, the tender faith, has to become firm faith. Let me take it, take it to another level. Within the tradition, Someone has faith in Krishna Bhakti. So they're worshipping Krishna and so forth. Hmm. And then for that faith to become firm, they have to become more acquainted with the Sambandha Gyan, right? Hmm. And the scriptural argument. As they become more acquainted with the scriptural argument and start to use their intelligence, they may they may they may they may have doubts. They may think it's like that. I didn't think it was like that. Let's, let's, take, let's take a simple example. You say to somebody, do you think you're God? This is, was, we used to preach like this in 1970. You know, yeah. Do you think you're God? Of course not, right? Now we just defeated the Mayabad philosophy. Um, you're an individual, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. We've just now further defeated the... And so somebody joins, yeah, I like that. I'm an individual. Hey, I'm not God. Yeah, I'm an individual. I can love God. And I, I, I like being an individual. I mean, in, in my but philosophy, you're not an individual. There is no Atma. 
You're an individual. This guy says, this is great. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And then later on he finds out he's not the individual that he thought he was. <laughs> his individual psychology and the way he looks and this and that, is, this, this is all illusion. He's this Atma. Somebody may say to you, you know, Swami, in your tradition, uh, is there an afterlife? Yes. Oh, great. I really like that. I like the part. It's an afterlife. Hmm? And then he finds out he can't, his kids won't be there, his dog won't be there, you know, his car won't be there. I don't know if I want to go there, you know. Uh, no, I've, I've heard educated people make those kind of, that kind of response. So, uh, so, you know, it sounded good at first, but now you go a little further and wait a minute. Uh, so it's a challenge, right? Hmm? To move from tender faith to firm faith requires the, fun- the application of the discriminating faculty and good association. In good association. Now, everybody doesn't have the same level of intelligence, so everybody doesn't have to be a scholar or anything like that, but hmm, they have to hear and they have to, they have to, they have to do, they have to hear the Bhagavatam and they have to serve the Bhagavatam person. This is the way. Hmm? Some will be better at hearing and they should both be good at serving the Bhagavatam person. <laughs> Someone may not be good at, at understanding all the arguments, but they've understood one thing. I'm hanging on to his, 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 his uh, dhoti, something like that. <laughs> uh, I'm hanging on there. Mm-hmm. And to others who have understood it, mm-hmm. right? And he says, that person understood very good. That person's understood. Mm-hmm. So, I respect them. Mm-hmm. Not I'm, and I'm envious of them. I respect them. I honor them. Mm-hmm. Take the same principle. I like only the deity, not the Vaishnava. I like only the guru. Nobody else. Not even the ones that, that, that are dear to the guru. But the guru has said, she understands what I'm saying. Listen to her. Not good. So, so this is the Kanishta sensibility. Has to be overcome. So, so it, 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 intelligence, it's very tricky because you want to use your intelligence to strengthen your faith. Hmm? But intelligence is inferior to the Atma. Hmm? Right? And so it's not going to fully answer to the Atma. Krishna's not going to fully answer, excuse me, to the intelligence. The Atma's not going to fully answer to the intelligence. Krishna's not going to fully answer to the intelligence. Intelligence is not the way to go there. It can be an aid. We should use it all in Krishna's service. But the way to go there is not by intelligence. Because if you try to go there just by your intelligence, then your faith will actually be... Um, you lose your faith. Hmm? Because that means you want to fit it all within. It all makes perfect sense. And it's not going to make perfect sense. Because it, tr- it transcends your intellect. So the philosophical dissertation, argumentation, explanation, is all an exercise of the intellect to try to capture something that's beyond it as best that limited instrument can. Hmm? But if you start to think that that limited, under the influence of your intellect, that's the problem. If people are too intelligent, then you have to, you have to really bash them, bash their intellect. Hmm? 
so to speak. Yeah. Put it in its place, put it in its place, put it in its place. Because it can take precedence. And then you start, you, then someone may even change the philosophy to fit inside their intellect. Very unbecoming. Start to change the philosophy, fit inside their intellect. Now, there's ways in which youth may think somebody's changing the philosophy to fit inside his intellect when he's actually differentiating the essence from the from the form and, and and you can't recognize that and so forth. So that's a whole other other thing. You understand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. So <laughs> so you have to understand the Madhyamanakar has to understand the limits of intellect. He's using the intellect and then then he, he finds out he, that that it that there's that doesn't fit there, so to speak, uh, and and it's okay, hmm? but it's a, it's a it's difficult. So without good association, these kind of things can happen. One can start to change the philosophy to fit into their intellect, hmm? and or 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 one can uh, uh, apply one's intellect but without good association, and then one is arguing against something that is not even the essence of the teaching. Hmm? Let's say someone someone has this idea that um, central to Gaudiya Vaishnavism is that uh, women are less intelligent. Hmm? Or or let's say, you know, it's like, it's not central at all if it's even part of the philosophy. (laughs) I know Prabhupada said that, but he heard it from his teacher or whatever, you know, and I know Prabhupada also, so he he changed his mind about things when he got other information. He was a reasonable person. Um, So um, someone someone just grabs on to it because they're sexist. For example, they just latch on to that, and then that's like the central... Thing and they be, they have this kind of hub orbit around which the whole thing's going, um, or and then they start citing the Varnashram Dharma. Hmm. They don't even realize it now. They're covering bhakti with karma, hmm. when bhakti should be uncovered from karma, and they're determining if you don't do this according to Varnashram, bhakti will be affected. That's the very thing Rupa Goswami is teaching against. Don't think that your bhakti will be affected by foregoing the Varnashram. Because, duh, what did Krishna tell Arjuna? Sarva dharman purityaja mami kam sharanam braja. What does it mean, right? Hmm? You're stepping on the head of Varnashram. Doesn't mean we're being immoral. To be a full on devotee, accepting this is our morality. Whatever favorable for Krishna's service, we accept it. Whatever unfavorable, we reject it. You'll be morally very stout by following that uh, standard, and you'll have to be troubled by every detail of Barnashram, how to do it, how to turn this way, sleep that way, and then they they just, of course, they just pick and choose. I like this part. Women are less intelligent. Forget about everything else in Barnashram that tells and. Hey, it says in the Gita, Striyo Vaishastatasu just tepi antiparamgatim. 
striyo vaishas tata sudra stepi antipur. That, that, uh, what does the verse say? It says, it says, hmm? Can take it. Even the sudras, striyo vaishas tata sudra, even the sudras, the vaishas, women can take the bhakti. Even them, they can take to it. But obviously, that means that they're lesser. So this guy is saying this, you know, this quote, see? It means women, are, they're like, you know, half devotees. <laughs> they can't be gurus. Hmm? That's for sure. Unless they're perfect. Somehow, unless they can become siddhas. Which would mean that their ruchi is different than, than yours. <laughs> their nishta is different than men's. <laughs> their asakti, different stages, are, is different from men. Only their bhava is equal to men. Men. <laughs> there may be statements like that, even in the Pancharatric literature, but what it means is it's it's speaking according to the circumstances, the time, and the, and the social circumstances. Women had certain duties, so unless they were really exceptional, they shouldn't step outside of those duties to be a guru, which is a, a teacher's role was more for, for men at the time. Even in American society, it used to be men were the scientists, men were the engineers, but things change. So you have to understand the, the, the essence, right? So anyway, somebody may latch on to something like that. Hmm? And um, and then you may hear that, and you may be more intelligent to, to know that you know women aren't half half humans, for example. And then you may think this this philosophy's it's got problems. Hmm? But but you're actually not getting that philosophy. So you're, then you're arguing, without knowing it, against something that's not even the philosophy. That can happen. And then you can go away, right? Become an atheist or whatever. It sounded good, but it was weird. Or, or, or that's a crude example, but let's take a more, maybe a more subtle example, like we talked the other night about anthropomorphism. That seems problematic, you know. They're making like God out to be like a human, with human attributes. And if you look at cultural anthropology, people do this all, you know, historically over the ages. It's just another instance of that from the past, and we're supposed to believe that. Some cultural thing from India, you know. It's a sophistic can be a sophisticated arg- argument, and so on. But they don't have good association. That someone to say, well, what kind of attributes should God have? If, if is God attributeless or without attributes? If there's a God, let's say there's a God. We will start with that, and now we we can deal with that's another argument. But let's just start with that premise. So does God have to be attributeless to be God? No. Okay. Good. Does he have to be indeterminate, or could he be determinate? Does he have to have no qualities, or could he have qualities? Either one seems plausible, reasonable. What kind of qualities will he have? Can he not have human qualities? Is that something wrong with that? Is that logically a problem? 
what are we going to give him? Superhuman? Call it, what kind of attributes are we going to give him? <laughs> if he's going to have attributes, what are they going to be? Where are we going to, you know... Of course, you know, we, we have faith in the scriptural argument. Of course, they want to say, somebody just wrote up those scriptures, you know, different sects wrote them, arguing with them. So you need good association to come in and, you know, make the argument for what is, what is Shastra, what is, what is the need for revelation, what is the purpose of that, what's the limit of intellect, and so forth, and as, we're, as, we're, as we're saying. Um, and, 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 and anyway, what's wrong with anthropomorphism anyway? Let's say I give human attributes to a cat. Is that just some really, look at it, is that really just some superstitious thing that humans do, that if we really look carefully with analytical philosophy and consideration of scientific findings, it's absurd? Is it really that absurd? Hmm? Just as, you know, a decade ago, or so, maybe two decades ago, panpsychism was thought to be, you know, just a, just a joke. The idea that consciousness is not a is is existing everywhere. Hmm? It's like already there, part of the world. Hmm? Because it was thought consciousness means self-awareness, and it's only there in humans. Self-awareness is only there in humans because they have the nature of their brain and it's part of the brain. We haven't figured out what part yet, but it's just that self-awareness. When, the, when suddenly insentient matter becomes sentient, that's supposed to be part of evolution. Of course, evolution is... The premise within evolution is that is that things evolve into other things. Then the other things are already partially there in what they evolve from, to evolve. You understand? Hmm? So here you've got insentience evolving into sentience. There's nothing in insentience that's like sentience. Nothing what even remotely resembles it. And it's supposed to evolved out of it. So this is a strong philosophical argument for, for, for panpsychism, that it's not a biological you know, ev- evolution. Still, people make arguments for it and so forth, right? For, for um, consciousness being, being such. N- not that, you know, it's a, it's a very difficult argument to make. What is the utilitarian purpose of consciousness? How does the self-awareness help to help to promote the species when, as a result of it, some people commit suicide because they they thought it out, thought there's no meaning. <laughs> it seems to get in the way in, in in some respects. Why, why am I? So it's hard to naturalize. Uh, consciousness, hard to naturalize subjectivity. Hmm? These are like the, 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 it's a real bluff to think that they've just about done that. It's about just about, you know, as far from being, you know, demonstrated as you could possibly imagine. Hmm? 
for good reason. Um, so that said, with regard to anthropomorphism, what is anthropomorphism then? When we, what, 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 what are we projecting onto, like, for example, other species? When we treat them or think of them as having human-like attributes, kind of, kind of, right? We're projecting self-awareness. Is that really a projection, or does it exist? Is there self-awareness in other species of life? Hmm? From, the, from our point of view, philosophical point of view, what we have in common with all of the species is consciousness. So we're panpsychists of a Vedantic type, the original type. So we, we, we think that what we have differences with other species and one another, but we have more in common with them underlying that's what that we are all constituted of consciousness. We think that consciousness is not a product of uh, biological development, but that biological development may may limit the expression of consciousness and shape it, so to speak. Hmm? That's our argument. Hmm? So, in anthropomorphism, we're really just saying, we're just kind of projecting, or humans are just kind of naturally, right, thinking that I have self-awareness, other species have self-awareness. Hmm? Is that so weird? Is it untrue? It's another question, right? In more recent times, of course, it's been demonstrated scientifically that, that uh, what is it, vertebrates, they have self-awareness. Hmm? Because there's a certain in the nervous system and a certain part of the brain, a midsection or something like that, they find it there. So they found it where they didn't think it was. Like, like Descartes, for example. Of course, you know, he, he thought animals would—they're just basically just machines. They have no feelings. No, no, no subjective. Only humans do. That's a pretty ugly part of his. I think, therefore, I am, and nobody else thinks. Maybe some other humans. <laughs> so now they find no that, that, that actually it's not just humans that have self-awareness, but certain more evolved species. Until now, they found out that insects also have their I think invertebrates. I, I think so. They also have egos. That's been demonstrated. Okay. Well, then we we go back and and then adjust and say, and this is why because they've got this part and that part. Now, what about plants? Oh, you're crazy. Well, you said that about monkeys. <laughs> you said that about dogs. <laughs> you said that about insects. You're losing the battle over here. Uh, now we're saying plants have awareness, right? Oh no, you're completely crazy. But now there's there's research. I was just reading some today to that effect. 
Hmm? Awareness and plant. And then, of course, what is consciousness and what is the consciousness of a plant? What is it like to be a bat? You know, that kind of argument. It's a famous book like named that. And so, I mean, um, it, it, you, you can make a very rational argument for, for panpsychism. Vedanta hmm? makes one. Hmm? And so, anthropomorphism, in a, in, a, in a kind of essential sense, is, is not making anything weird up, it's just kind of positing what's there. It's not fully manifest, because hmm? it's shaped by that particular uh, vehicle, hmm? the body-mind complex. Hmm? You understand? And then, and now, okay, just think, everything's alive, everything has feelings. How's, how's that feel? Now, when you walk next to, the, next to the mango tree, how's that feel? What kind of person would that make you? Let's be pragmatic about it. <laughs> this is your philosophy, let's make it pragmatic. Does it make people better? Whether it's real, true or not. <laughs> Does it make people better? What do you think? Hmm? Oh, brother tree. Hmm. Right. Oh, sister bush. <laughs> Franciscan twist. Hmm. How, you, how you relate to nature and, and then other people and so forth. If, or if it's just some whatever, some unconscious, no feeling, and you treat it like is this. What kind of world? Hmm? What kind of world are we positing? Are we, are we just like crazy with our anthropomorphism? Irrational people? Hmm? You understand? So I'm just making a kind of a simple argument that someone may reject, have a neophyte kind of faith, and then be confronted with arguments that without good association, they don't really understand the impl deeper implications and ramifications of stories, leelas, um, and, and the way in which things are talked about, and so forth. So, so then they, 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 they become atheist. So this using your intelligence uh, is important in Bhakti, but we need to do it in good association. Hmm? We need to learn, learn the scripture in good association. Otherwise, it's possible in the, in, the, in the pursuit of strengthening my faith with my intelligence, I may lose my faith. Intelligence may, may uh, may destroy tender faith. It's possible. I mean, you can see that practically. If you just told somebody about Krishna consciousness, they're interested in it, and then they go back to see their friends and the next day, they, I don't know about that. I thought it was good, but and then you talk to them again. So you can see that intelligence has to be harnessed, it has to be spiritualized, that booty, hmm? through good association. Yeah. So, that, so this is to, to strengthen and make your faith strong, you have to learn how to make the intellect without becoming a, a victim of your intellect. And it's easy, I mean, it's easy to say, oh, uh, I, I lost control of my senses. I lost control of my mind. Mind got distracted. 
I got overwhelmed by my intellect. Uh, people don't say that too often. I got overwhelmed by my intellect. You could say I got overwhelmed by my senses and I overate. I didn't go to overwhelmed by my mind and I just short-circuited. Hmm. Or, 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 see, also, we identify on... On, on materially speaking, on different levels. So we, we identify centrally, mentally, and intellectually. So if I say, I think you're overweight, you can say, so what? Pass the butter. <laughs> I've heard it my whole life, okay? And I'm fine with it. Maybe it makes you uncomfortable, you know? It looks skinny to me. Now, if I say to you, <laughs> if, I, uh, if I say to you, or if I say, let's say, you say, I got a headache, physical problem. I say, oh, here, here, here take some aspirin. Say, okay. I take some aspirin and it goes away. Hmm. Then um, you come to me and you start talking to me about some of your thoughts, and I say, I think you need to see a psychiatrist, a psychologist. I think you've got some issues that you, you need to, you know, you got mental, I think maybe you're like, you're like maybe bipolar or something like that. I was talking to you yesterday and now today, you know, something like that. There'll be more resistance. You're not going to just go, okay, I'll go. Check it out. Like you took the aspirin. <laughs> because the You've identified more with your mind than with your body. Hmm? I mean, we live in the mind. We live in the world of the mind. The body only functions if the mind's thinking about it. You know, or you, if, if I'm in, the, you're in the room, and and uh, you're only going to see, hear, and experience things that your senses are in touch with, and that your mind is in touch with that sense. Otherwise, you can say, I didn't see that. I didn't hear that. Did he say that? <laughs> so, now we go to intelligence. So if I insult your body or your mind, but then your, then your intelligence, well, it's more subtle. So your more, the identification with it is more subtle and difficult to, to, to distinguish yourself from. So you feel more personally affronted if I criticize your intelligence, that you've got no intelligence or something. So, so it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's hard to harness that intellect, especially if you have a good intelligence, then to capture it and use it in bhakti, rather than being used by it, it's very unbecoming to see as a devotee being abused by their intellect without realizing that that's what's happening. So, so at any rate, basically, basically relative to your question, that this becoming a madhyama is, is, is to discriminate. That's what it's about. To start to apply one's intellect in the, in, in the teaching. And we all do that to some extent or another. So, you know, what it means to be a madhyama and a kanishta, there's a lot of gray in between, right? So there's the Kanishta Kanishta, the Madhyam Kanishta, the Uttam Kanishta. Then there's the Kanishta Madhyam, and the Madhyam Madhyam, and the Uttam Madhyam, and so on. We could just do another way of making the point. But um, 
But anyway, that's the answer. <laughs> In a roundabout way. I <laughs> hope that helps. That helps. You could become an atheist. It's possible. Madhya Madhigari could become an atheist. Now, if he or she's really situated as a Madhya Madhigari, then that's not, not going to happen. But in the, in the course of becoming a Madhya moving in that direction, there are some landmines along the way to watch out for. What else? What's the time? Okay, that's a long discussion today. We'll stop there. Taji Gopal Ki Jai. Gold Premanandi. Jai.